0: or toll-free
1: at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. A four-day week.
2: We're already towards the end of the week. Lance, how's your day going, my man? I can't believe it's already Thursday, man. It feels like it's already blown by just like, just like that. You know, this is a
1: point towards what I said yesterday in our debate about which four-day weeks are better, ones that what ones that you get Friday off or ones that you get Monday off? I, I think this is a point in my corner. Mon- Mondays off are great.
2: I still like Fridays off. It feels so relaxing to know. It's like if okay. you
1: ever had a Friday off, though? Uh, like how are you qualified i'm not not trying to say anything here but you were homeschooled
2: (laughs) i also were i worked three jobs during that time period that's true i whenever i was working at tiger rags there was a couple of of occasions uh right before the season started in 2019 where i would get a friday off and so i would i would have thursday uh thursday night i would head home and just i would relax on friday and saturday and sunday and then i'd get back at it monday and that was kind of in prep. That was before it got serious. And after that point, I don't think I've had a Friday off since. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I never got Fridays off in school. So I guess maybe you are a little bit more qualified to talk about Fridays off than me, but that's, that's interesting. It was a rare occasion. It I want to, to know what people occasion. think about this. Phone lines are open 334 321 1390. We want to hear from you. Which do you prefer, a Monday off or a Friday off for your four day week? Not
2: saying either is bad no they're both great they're both great welcome all days off yeah for sure
1: (laughs) something that's been a theme throughout this week and we've asked several guests this we want to start off the show today talking about how Auburn's rushing attack is changing for the 2021 season this is something I had tabled for yesterday but I decided to move it to today we had some great conversations about recruiting and projecting Auburn for 2022 as well and why this year is such an important recruiting class for this coaching staff i said "Eh, "Ah, we'll save it for tomorrow we talked with justin ferguson of the auburn observer about this just a tad back on tuesday i want to get your takes on this you've got some interesting statistics that you have found about auburn's rushing attack last year and then how that may change going into this year so how is auburn's rushing game going to change going into 2021 under this new coaching staff
2: Well, I've been watching a lot of 2012-2013 Georgia recently, just trying to get a feel for what that offense was like. Obviously, they had guys like Todd Gurley in the backfield and Keith Marshall, really talented running backs. I would say that Tank Tank Bigsby is not necessarily a direct comp to guys like Todd Gurley, but they're both very good running backs in their own right. I've been looking at this Georgia offense and something that immediately stands out to me and Justin talked a little bit about uh, a little bit about this is he expects a lot of inside zone and a lot of outside zone but not inside zone reads and outside zone reads. He expects a lot of power football, either power or zone, but but the quarterback's going to be less involved in this offense. It, it, at least I believe it will. Whenever you look at Auburn last season, their most run run play was inside zone read i i went and took a deep dive it's a website called sec stat cat it's it's absolutely fantastic they'll give you all these different offensive concepts that different teams run they'll tell you about different quarterbacks and different statistics that they have throwing inside out outside the hash five yards 10 yards 20 yards downfield there's a lot of different specific details that you can pull from this website to kind of get what you're looking for but overall looking at auburn's run game last season they ran inside zone read uh 207 times i believe that was 60% of the time whenever they would go go to run the football inside power read was the second most and then outside power read was the third most inside power was their f- fourth most run play fourth most often run play so they continued to run option not not necessarily option but option where the quarterback did have an opportunity to pull the football and run of course we didn't really see Bo Nix do that a whole lot last season we didn't really see him do it a whole lot in his freshman year but whenever he did he was usually usually successful you say that though but you look at his stats last year he still had the
1: second most attempts out of this backfield he only trailed Tank Bigsby by 30 carries now a lot of that was running on his own on a design pass play but I do think we saw him tuck it more this past year on a, on a by percentage of plays or by percentage of opportunities I think maybe we saw bonix take it a little bit more last year than we did as a freshman
2: I would agree with that like I agree with you and the, and the statistics reflect that but I believe and I'm and I may be completely wrong on this but I believe a, <laughs> a, a, a not a not a majority but a decent bit of the time whenever he would take off it would be scrambling from the pocket not necessarily running from his life but we saw in that LSU game four or five times the pocket would break down and he would find a lane and he would pick up a first down it was just really good running a really good scramble drill from Bo but I didn't see him in his freshman year last year pull it and run off of a read as often as I would have liked to have seen it because he definitely does have that dual threat ability but my point being is I think Auburn's going to kind of shift away from that is that a bad thing I don't it, f- what that they're going to shift away from that I don't necessarily think so because we've seen for two years in a row now Auburn's offensive line struggle trying to get those concepts down trying to get inside zone and get these reads reads to actually work
1: bonix only averaged 3.6 yards per carry last year so i
2: think it'd be really really good for auburn to maybe try something a little bit different and i think Harson's scheme and this new mike bobo offense is going to kind of shift into a more traditional direction whenever you watch those georgia teams you see a lot of just traditional inside zone and a lot of power football Uh, Saturday Down South actually back in 2012 put a fantastic article about it just breaking down some of their film room and they pointed out look whenever Georgia goes to run the football they're not trying to get their quarterback involved they're going to run it down your throat they're going to pull guards and they're going to meet you at the point of attack and they're going to bully you.
1: To be fair back then though their quarterback was Aaron Murray and you wouldn't want that guy involved in running the
2: football. So this is why I think it's going this is why I think the offensive attack is going to change and work in Auburn's favor because whenever they do want to get Bo Nix involved he's not Aaron Murray he's he has that ability to run and so I think whenever they're going to try and get Bo N- or, or rather tank Bigsby involved a little bit more and just give him more design runs to where we're handing it off we're handing it off we're handing it off, handing it off. when and when, whenever we do choose to get Nix involved he's going to be able to actually take it off the tackle and actually get significant yards instead of having to scramble for it. it's going to, to be more unexpected yards. it's going to be more unexpected it's going to be more traditional I feel like and I think that's a good thing because again you see Auburn in the past two seasons they've not been able to get it going
1: I only think it's a good thing if Bo Nix improves as much as we think he will as a passer if he doesn't improve as a passer and now you're taking away the half of his game that we both believe that he's been most successful at I think you would agree he's been a better runner maybe to this point or as good of a runner as he has been as a passer If you take that area of his game out of the equation and he doesn't really improve as a passer, Bo Nix is going to have an extremely tough time settling into football games. Because I think where we've seen him struggle occasionally as a passer in a football game, he's been able to find his way into a football game and settle into the flow of a game by running the football. He's been able to calm down as a quarterback by being able to run the football and kind of take some of that pressure off of him as a passer, that goes out the window if they take that out of the playbook 90% of the
2: time. Right, and I'd like to be able to see whenever they do get him involved, again, it not be a scramble drill or him bailing out of the pocket and trying to make something out of what it, what would be at that point a broken play. I'd like to see them run a little bit of inside zone, but not not enough to where teams can kind of key in on it, because Knicks was not necessarily pulling in and running it a lot last season, I agree with you i think he was the statistics reflected he was tucking in and running it but it wasn't traditional i want to be able to see them run Inside zone, outside zone, inside zone, outside zone. Run some misdirection, run some counter, and then when the defense isn't expecting it, get Nick's involved. Let him take one off the tackle and and pick up a few yards. And I think he's by
1: traditional. You mean that you want it to be focused on the running back and not on the quarterback? Exactly. You want downhill running,
2: right? Exactly. And I think it's going to be it's going to make Nick's a lot more comfortable because it's a it's a more comfortable play. It's a more comfortable traditional. Doesn't have to run it exactly downfield downfield run. And whenever he his number. Uh, does get called he's going to know what he has to do instead of bailing from the pocket and, and trying to pick up four or five yards he's going to know okay i'm going to be taking this on the read and the the defense will be expecting a handoff to the running back it's going to it's going to make this offense a little bit more dynamic by focusing less on being more dynamic
1: it definitely will make his runs more lethal when they occur if they are less often used than this pre than this previous coaching staff employed them in the offense because you're right team's expected it this coaching staff would focus in on certain concepts they they tried to live on the perimeter with jet sweeps and with and with zone read like the stats are evidenced in in terms of Auburn's play calling that you pointed out I'm with you I I do want to see more of an emphasis on downhill running but I will say this I'm a little I'm going to be disappointed if the zone read leaves the playbook as much as you're advocating it for for it to be and my reasoning for that is I want to see this coaching staff build the offense around this team's strengths. And just because you want to have more of a commitment to running downhill, I don't think that means that you have to mostly, I'm not going to say all the way abandon, because I know that's not what you're saying, but abandon, for the most part, something that Bo Nix does really well and honestly is his best quality at this point. It is his best quality, his running ability. I would hate to see Auburn abandon that just for the sake of a philosophy. I felt like we ran into that with his previous coaching staff. They were stubborn, and they wanted to do things just for the sake of, I wrote the book on it, right? I don't want to see this coaching staff do the same thing. I want to see them build this offense around what they have on the roster and recruit for the philosophy that they want. Build towards that over time with with the players that you're recruiting. But unfortunately for this coaching staff, the players that they have, they didn't recruit – And they were built for a different style of play and Bo Nix's style right now until they develop him more as a passer, which at this point, I don't think that we saw enough during the spring to know if he really did improve. And they brought in a transfer quarterback to push him a bit. How legitimate is that, that TJ Finley will be competing for that job? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows, except for the people that are inside that locker room and that are super close to the program. I'm going to say that, it, it it could only be it, I'm not gonna say it could only be a bad thing, but. For me, it seems more likely that it's a bad thing that they would take the ball out of Bo Nix's hand to run to run the football. This
2: is something that we've talked about a little bit before on this show, and we, you and I both are, are under the impression that this coaching staff understands that. They understand that this, this season, so. that they, they have players on the roster that they didn't recruit, that aren't exactly fitting the scheme or the philosophy that they want to run, and in the future, they're going to try and get guys that do fit that, and they're going to try. Even Harson has said, we're going to try and get these guys mixed in, and we're going to try and get them comfortable with what they can do, along with some of the things that we want to implement and so we've talked about that slow transition we think this coaching staff understands this has to be a slow transition and you're right down the line they are going to start recruiting guys like tj finley's already on the roster holden Jarner's coming in in a year to run more of a pro style off yeah those guys aren't running the football they're they're tr- they're they're going to slowly shift the type of offense that they want to run, I agree with you. It would be it would be not catastrophic, but it would be bad if they can tr- try to just get away completely from what this roster does well. They got to be able to mix and balance it a little bit better. And I do think getting trying to run more downhill is going to benefit this team because whenever they do go to do those zone those zone reads, those outside zones, inside zones, and they want to get Knicks involved and they want to go back, they want to to. To play to this 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 roster strength, it's going to go really well.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm I'm all for advocating for a more downhill running scheme than what we saw under Gus Malzahn, a more physical running scheme because you've already heard Sean Shivers talking about uh, to the media during the spring about how some of the changes that he's noticed with the offense and how that pertains to him as a running back. Says this is what he did in high school, and Sean Shivers has had a bit of a tough time getting going as a running back. In the spring, he was extremely successful in the eight-a game. This is what he, hes not afraid of contact. He wants contact. He wants to run downhill. And I don't see in Sean Shiver's great lateral speed or ability to change direction. He's not the most agile guy in the world, but he's got great top-end speed. If he can break through to the second or third level, and get out in space, he can definitely outrun some guys. But in the lead up to that, he—he's he, not just—he's he, just not a. Sp- Speed demon. That's that's not what he does. He he is more of a power back. People just like to group him in that category of scat backs because of his size. But if you watch how the guy plays, he's at his best when he's running in between the tackles and he's right. able to get to that second level and use his physicality a bit. Now, of course, somebody makes contact with him, he's going down. Right? It's gonna be it's gonna be a heck of a collision, right? But he's still a good running back. And I'm high up on Sean Shivers for his vision, for his ability to find holes, and for his physicality. He runs with heart. He runs with heart. He's not afraid of contact, and he's going to take you with him if you're, if you're going to go and try and tackle him. He's somebody that is going to fight and scrap for every single yard, and he's not the easiest player to bring down either in terms of you know, how hard he's running. He's a hard runner. I didn't feel like Jatarvius Whitlow or DJ Williams or some of these other running backs that have been in the same room as him. I've always felt like Sean Shivers, man, he's, he's running the hardest out of all of those guys. If only he had three more inches and 30 more pounds, this guy's heart and that type of running back's body would be special, right? Right. And now you've got Tank Bigsby in this running back room who also runs hard, runs with heart, and is very difficult to bring down. You get to see what John Shivers could have been, right? If he had that, if he had that body. Right. Tank Bigsby's at his best when he's running downhill. So this offense that they're trying to bring in, this new scheme, this new rushing attack that this coaching staff is going to bring in, is definitely going to accentuate the running back skills. this is an offense that was built for these running backs the quarterback position though I just I I don't want to see them get away from from running the zone read because it's not something that they've done before and I know Bobo's not used to it and I know Harson's not really used to it this isn't their prototypical quarterback that they have in their in their QB room I really just don't want to see him get away from it because it's what he does well and it is definitely it's something that can be a factor in your offense if used correctly.
2: Well, you mentioned earlier about how Auburn does like to kind of get to the perimeter. It's something that Malzahn has tried to do over the last two seasons with Knicks and try and bounce some runs outside. I think, it, along with Tank Hill or Tank Bigsby's ability to run downhill, I think he was also really good at getting to the perimeter and breaking tackles whenever he needed to. But you're right, whenever Sean Shivers is going to get into this new scheme, he was talking about it all spring about how much he loves what they're they're implementing. And I think it's really going to benefit both him and Tank. Whenever people say, Oh, Sean Shivers is a perfect complement to Tank Bigsby's style of running and they'll really be a great one-two tandem, we haven't necessarily seen that. And I think this season with this new running scheme, you're going to see them complement each other. You're going to see Tank be the guy that's so hard to bring down and will just run through tackles. And you'll see Shivers, who doesn't have the greatest speed in the world, but he does that have that home run ability. He's he's that scat, scat back kind of guy that will hit you with force, but also he's he's, he's, he's got some speed. He's got a little bit of speed. It's straight
1: so line speed. Right. He's got to get out into space. You don't really see it. In, you don't really see it. Left to right.
2: So you see it vertically, you just don't really see it left to right. So here's how I think it'll work out. Tanks big tank Bigsby, whether running between the tackles or outside the tackles, he'll be able to break tackles and really wear some of these defenders out. By the time that Shivers gets in there, home run ball, he's gone if he gets past somebody. They're they're going to be exhausted, they're going to be worn out physically, mentally. And by the time that Shivers gets in there, I think he is really going to complement Tank Bixby's running style because he has that home run ability. And if he gets to that second level, he is tough to bring down.
1: Of course, there's another factor we have to consider here. You've got a senior late in offensive line that desperately needs to improve. What areas do you, do you think this new scheme accentuates their skill set? Or is that still to be determined? Previous scheme didn't do anybody favors. it's quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, offensive line. But I still think it is a little to be de- I think it's to be determined what this offensive line does well. They weren't half bad at run blocking. Tame Bigsby averaging six yards a carry should should tell you that. They weren't half bad at run blocking. Pass blocking, atrocious. A- absolutely atrocious. I will not debate anybody on that. Now, if you try and tell me that this group was bad at run blocking, I disagree with you. I think they were I think Tate Bigsby made their numbers look a little bit better, but I still think they were fine at run blocking. They still need to get better in that category. If they get better at run blocking, good gracious. Tank Bigsby up for the Heisman, right? But he now, of course, he's got to score the touchdowns to get into that category, and we haven't seen an Auburn running back really get there.
2: But this offensive line does need improvement. Does the scheme help them get there? I think it does, as far as running goes, something that you and I were talking about a little bit off air earlier, something that Malzahn's offensive lines did so well in the first two or three seasons is they would get past the the initial level and they would get to the second level and block a linebacker, whether that be zone, whether that be a power scheme, they would get to that second level and the center would go and make a play. Auburn has not had that with Nick Brahms for two years or have, Caleb Kim or Caleb Kim and you talk about their ability to pass block I think that was complete that was on display how poor they were at pass blocking against Georgia last season pro football fro- focus ranks Auburn as the 89th best offensive line in the entire country last year that averages out between both pass blocking and run blocking they had the 33.8 pass block grade against Georgia week five they have to be able to, imp- to improve in that aspect in order to also be able to improve in run blocking because defensive will key in on the run if you aren't able to actually block for your quarterback whenever he wants to throw
1: you bring up the center position I mean you have talked a lot about this the last time that Auburn had an offensive line that I really felt like excelled in a zone blocking scheme I feel like that was 2017. Yes. And there was a bit of a revolving door at different offensive line positions due to injuries, but they had jack-of-all-trades across that offensive line. Different guys could do different things well. 2017 was really the the last pretty good run blocking uh, offensive line i would say now this this one right now that you've got it's decent at it but like i said could, you could still lose r- use improvement and i think it does center center at the center position really because auburn has had a hard time since 2018 which go figure auburn hasn't had an a thousand yard rusher since 2017 you go all the way back to 2018 when it all began when you get a new center in when it's been nick brahms or caleb kim whether it's been one of those two guys they've had a really hard time getting to the second level and taking out a linebacker and linebackers have just been plugging gaps left and right and Auburn hasn't been able to get past the initial push and you've seen running backs you're like uh, a three-yard game for Jatarvius Whitlow would be a six or seven-yard gain for Najee Harris or somebody else in the league because of what their offensive lines were able to do when they were able to get to the second level and Auburn just wasn't able to do that adequately. That's an area that this group could get better the question is, is Nick Brahms going into his fourth or fifth year now on campus? He's a senior. Is, is he going to be able to do that? I thought we saw slight improvement from him last year. Question is, does it all come together for him and the rest of this offensive line now going into, once again, their fourth or fifth years, however many it's been for some of these dudes who have been playing college football for a long time? But one thing is to be said, if they start the same offensive line that they started last year, they're all seniors. This is not about experience anymore. And can Will Friend tap into maybe some unmatched potential we'll have to see you're listening to on the line we'll be back in just a few moments here on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama back on on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama number to call 334-321-1390 we want to hear from you that'll put you through to on the line once again 334-321-1390 3, 3, 3, 2, 1, at 230 we got Zach blackerby of the locked on auburn podcast joining us you don't want to miss that conversation we'll ask him some of the same questions that we were just talking about how do we expect this auburn running game to change we'll also get his thoughts on jordan ingram's transfer i haven't talked about that for a couple days also some quarterback questions for him as well we got a lot of great things coming up for that conversation with Zach blackerby at 230 of the locked on auburn podcast throughout the show today we're going to be Giving you our super regional predictions for the NCAA Division I baseball tournament that begins tomorrow. We're going to tell you who we expect to get past the regional round and get into the super regionals. We'll also have a graphic up of our predictions coming up on social media later on. You can find that on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Various social media accounts there, whether it be Facebook or Twitter, that's where you can find it. But let's get into it. Throughout the show today, just different segments. We'll be breaking down these different regionals and giving you our predictions on who's going through to the Supers as the NCAA tournament does begin to tomorrow. So this is our last chance to do it. So let's get after it into the overall top national seed in the country. Arkansas was ranked as the number one overall seed out of 16. They're hosting in Fayetteville. They are grouped alongside the four-seed New Jersey Institute of Technology, NJIT. That'll be who they play in the first round. And then it'll be three-seed Northeastern against two-seed Nebraska. So that fills out the Fayetteville Regional. Lance, who do you have coming out
2: of the top national seed regional? I wanted to make a joke to, to start this out and say something like, yeah, go Cubs or something really stupid like that. <laughs> but I didn't know. Anyway, well, I think our Arkansas- thing you could have said would be go NJIT. <laughs> go NJIT. In- goodness gracious, man. Who would have...
1: That does not roll off the tongue very well at all. No, it
2: does not. I I think Arkansas is probably going to take this regional. Obviously, whenever we were able to watch them against Auburn, they didn't look overly impressive against Auburn, but they were definitely uh, impressive throughout SEC play. I believe they won every single series that they played in. They've got really, really good pitching. Overall, Arkansas is just a very solid team. I'd be surprised if any of these other three teams were able to to take them out and to advance on
1: i'm not going to say that their regional is unfavorable but they definitely got a tough draw for their two seed nebraska's playing some of the best baseball out of anyone in the country nebraska won the big 10 conference and they had like a weekend to spare they're the best big 10 team coming into the ncaa tournament they're playing really good baseball right now the corn huskers there's something about the fact not only is it you know the road to Omaha, but there's something about the fact that the state of Nebraska knows how to play some baseball, right? With that being said, I expect Arkansas to cruise here. I don't expect there to be too much danger, but you could have done something a little bit more for the top team in the country that just won the SEC instead of putting the team that just won the Big Ten in their regional, and they have a decent baseball history as well. You could have done a little bit for them, but this arkansas team it's all about pitching depth when you get to the postseason and arkansas has as much of it as anybody in the country and it's also rested cop didn't have to play for arkansas through the entirety of the sec tournament until they got to the championship and he basically got three warm-up innings for the ncaa tournament this arkansas team although it's about middle of the pack in terms of batting average they hit the long ball really well and now they're getting to play in their home baseball park the team was made to play in this baseball park i expect them to cruise easily and advance past their own regional into the supers which is where they'll be hosting that as well so you get half of the NCAA tournament or two-thirds of the NCAA tournament on your home field and that that, that I think could ultimately project Arkansas into the into Omaha but we're, we're not getting past that today let's get to the regional that they're matched up against this is the Ruston regional the one that Alabama is in 16 overall seed Louisiana Tech at 40 and 18 they'll be taking on their four seed Ryder who was 23 and 16, and then th- the 3-2 matchup is Alabama against NC State.
2: I I have Louisiana Tech winning this regional. I know a lot of people like NC State. And look, I'll just say this, as far as other college sports go, you're probably going to take the Power 5 team or the Power 6 team over the group, group of 5 school or just the non-Power school. But I like Louisiana Tech in this matched up matchup. I know NC State's playing really well entering these regionals. They took, I believe it was, I believe they won their last series and then they uh, reached the ACC Conference title game, but they eventually lost, I believe it was to Duke they're they're a talented baseball team but i've just got I've, i'm just picking it upset just because i feel like and i think la tech's going to take the regional
1: well we'll get to my pick later on in the show we'll come back with it after our interview with zach blackerby coming up at 2 30 here on the other side of this break you don't want to miss that zach blackerby the locked on auburn podcast joining us on the line Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. And Joining us on the line, we got
3: Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast with us. Zach, how you doing today, my man? Gentlemen, doing well. Appreciate uh, appreciate y'all letting me hop on for a few.
1: Well, you've got some exciting things going on in the Locked On Auburn Podcast realm. A certain chicken parm night. Take me through what's going on there, my man.
3: Yeah, it's Parm Night. This all kind of started as a joke uh, on the the bunker, the the message board on AuburnSports.com, the Auburn rival site. Um, I, I guess just uh, right after Brad was was hired, Brad LaRondo, Auburn football's chief of staff, somebody made the joke that he looked like the um, like the the Godfather, and he looked like uh, a guy that was about to crush a chicken parm to drive somebody's head through some drywall, and so. Uh, on the podcast, we made that joke, uh, Charlie Five, who's a big avid poster on that. He read uh, he read <laughs> that thread and some of the funny comments, and that one stuck. And uh, it kind of turned into this thing to, to Brad reaching out. And now we've got, got Rob's ribs tonight from 6 to 8. Brad LaRonda is going to come out, the, the Auburn football chief of staff, and hang out with Auburn fans and, and listeners. And, yeah. Come uh, come by and check us out. It'll be from six to eight. Is kind of what we're telling people. I'll be there before then. Um, but also, if you come, we ask you uh, to to bring some canned goods or some you know some non-perishable food items because there will be a drop-off area for um, food donations for the Food Bank of East Alabama. Martha Hank and her team over there do a great job. So uh, you know, it started as this joke and it's turned into something that we're doing to to help out some uh, some really good people. So yeah, yeah, all that's happening tonight.
1: That's great, Zach. That is that is absolutely fantastic. And now let's get into some, some football stuff here that we were talking a little bit earlier. We're, we've been discussing for the last couple of days about Auburn's rushing attack and how it's going to change schematically. But before this Auburn rushing attack or this Auburn football team really improves, the offensive line has to improve. What is your take on that? Do you think we see the Auburn O-line improve in 2021?
3: I think so. I mean, even if it's just the same guys, you've got to think, that they're going to get somewhat better. I think the scheme is going to help them. I don't know if doing the same thing over and over again throughout the season last year was really the, the best way to help out some of these players. I'm not talking about just offensive line. I'm talking about all these players. And I think you're going to see a coaching staff that has a little bit different approach to the game and is able to, to call things, whether it's scheme or specific plays, that will help these individual players out. And and in this case, the unit that is the offensive line. So I I think it will be better. I don't know if they're going to be world beaters or a strength of this team by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like they're okay with who they've got. I mean, Auburn has been super active. One of the more active teams in the country when it comes to the transfer portal. And it's really all been on the defensive side of the football, save for, uh, you know, Finley, uh, the quarterback. So, I think they're okay with what they've got, and we'll see what that looks like come this fall. But, yeah, I think it'll be better.
2: You look at this senior-laden offensive line, and you see a lot of guys that could definitely use use improvement. Nick Brahms and Alec Jackson come to mind for me. But who is somebody on this offensive line that you look at and you say, that's a guy that needs to improve the most out of this entire unit?
3: I think you got to look at the center position. I think Nick Brahms is um, – I don't think he was a very good football player last year, and I think that's something you're going to need him to be better. You're going to need him to be the leader. Look, this is a new scheme. His role's going to change. He's going to do more of you know snapping under center as well as you know he's so used to shotgun. And also, I, I think more is going to be asked of this team, especially offensively, uh, on the mental side of things. And look, I, I think Brian Harson is going to be a guy that he's going to make sure his offensive line is tough. Auburn got pushed around in the trenches last year on both the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the football. So, mentality is a big thing, and I think that starts with your leader. And you know, just the nature of the the position of being the center is going to be the leader. He's been the starter the longest. It seems like he's been on Auburn's roster for forever. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. And then, you know, I am extremely high on Brandon Council. Lance, you and I have talked about him before. <laughs> very, very high on him. How does he look coming off, uh, you know, an injury? You know, he, he wasn't able to be with the team during the later stretch of last year, had a different type of injury in the spring. Is he ready to snap back and get back into football shape and, and help build this offensive line, you know, to a better performance? So, yeah, th- those are two guys.
1: How do you think that this scheme change is going to help these running backs? Or, you know, what is your take on what this scheme change will do for these running backs and their skill set?
3: I think, for one, you'll see instances where the defense doesn't know what you're about to run. I think that was a big thing. And, you know, Auburn fans made the joke. And I, you know, I think it actually started as a joke and then it kind of grew into actual concern. With, you know I think you, you, both of you guys probably heard the same comments as well. You may have said them out loud watching the games. like if I know what you're going to run, surely the defense is, does, as well as you know other coaches throughout the SEC, I don't think you're going to see that with Brian Harson and Mike Bobo. I think you're going to see a lot of different looks on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's guys under center, whether it's two tight ends in the formation, whether you got a fullback back there, whether you're shotgun and you got four wide. I think you're just going to see a ton of different things, and obviously, if you're able to deceive the defense or at least hide what you're doing to some extent, that's going to help out everybody. It's going to help out Bo Nicks It's going to help out your running games. It's going to help out your receivers because uh, then, of course, the offensive line. So that's the topic that we're talking about, so uh, you're just going to see more things. I think you're going to see more tendency breakers on first down instead of the you know the the, the typical you know dive or inside zone on first down. You saw that a ton and. I don't think that's a bad play. Uh, now, I think running it pretty much every time is an issue, but there's just so many different things that you can do off of certain plays. and I think you're going to see Brian Harson have a lot more play action on first down, especially if running the ball on first down and on early downs is doing something with Hank Bixby and really just all of the attention that he's going to be able to grab. So I think stuff like that is going to help his offensive line a of ton.
1: What changes do you think we'll see a little bit more to this rushing attack schematically from from this previous coaching staff to where we're at now for Bo Nix, do you think that we'll still see him running the football a lot or do you think they're going to move away from that?
3: So when Harson first got to Boise or when he took over as head coach, the running back was second on the team in rushing for I believe the first two seasons. Then after that, once he got his guys in there, that went away, and the quarterback was virtually, uh, you know, a non-factor in the running game. So what that tells me is he has the ability to to use a quarterback and actually, you know, emphasize his strengths. And so I think we all agree that Bo Nix is very athletic. I think he's deceptively athletic. I think he's very good at moving around in the pocket, and uh, I think that's almost been a blessing and a curse at times because he's so reliant on getting out of the pocket as soon as you know his first read's not open. So I think you're going to see. Him run the ball more, but I think it's not going to be like through a through like a read option. I think you may see him, you know, maybe you uh, you you fake a stretch play to the left with Tank, and anytime you fake a Tank Bigsby, your strong side linebacker, your Mike linebacker, they're going to have to uh, respect it. And then all of a sudden, you can, you can roll bo Nicks out. And you can have, you know, two or three layers of guys. You can have a guy five yards downfield. You can have a guy 15 yards downfield. And then make college defenders make decisions. Do you step up and tackle the quarterback that could be running? That's certainly a threat to run. Do you back up and cover the flat? Do you back up and cover deep thirds? Make these guys make decisions over and over and over again. And I think you saw a lot of that early in Gus Malzahn's tenure at Auburn. And then that kind of fizzled away as he got more and more comfortable and defense is adaptive because, you know, his offense kind of grew stale. It was once ahead of the game, and it kind of never really changed. So I just think there's so many different things you can do with Bo Nix's athleticism. And Harson did that with his more mobile quarterbacks early in his tenure at Boise State's head coach. And then as kind of time went on, he got his guys. They're more, you know, your stereotypical pocket passers. They, he used them inside the pocket. So I think you're going to see Bo Nix kind of be called outside of the pocket a little bit especially if that's kind of a tendency that they're gonna have a hard time breaking him from why not use it to your advantage that just seems to be the kind of coach that Harson is so that's my guess guys as you know we're, we're several months out
1: moving away from talking about this rushing attack to a Twitter poll that we had yesterday that we had a nice vote on and then a conversation that we had as well as we're speaking to Zach Blackerby of the locked on Auburn podcast which game is Auburn more likely to win? LSU or Penn State this upcoming year?
3: I think that's a really fun question. I, when I saw you guys tweet that out, I voted in it. I voted, for, um, I voted for at LSU. I am obnoxiously overconfident in Auburn's chances in this game, and I don't think it's right. I don't think that I should have any kind of you know, reason to feel that way based on the last two decades, but here I am. That is kind of the flag that I am waving. I don't really feel super great about Auburn going to Happy Valley. I just don't. I I, I don't see them at the current – if I had to pick that game right now, I'm picking Auburn to lose it. I think Penn State wins that game. So I think Auburn wins in LSU, and so um, that's what I went with.
1: Yeah, it's definitely less time to prepare for Penn State than it is to prepare for LSU. That was a big part of my argument. The Twitter poll, it's ended. Final results there across the fan vote Penn State 54% tell us you at 46% and uh, I'm a little shocked by that too based on the logic that you have less time to prepare I want to take this outside of Auburn talk here we we ranked our top five SEC quarterbacks earlier this week and there was some disagreement there when we got into our top three it was the same three quarterbacks but just ranked in a different order Matt Corral or JT Daniels for top quarterback in the league or other who, who do you have
3: who if they're all in a vacuum, I would say Matt Corral. I think Daniels will win more games. I think Daniels has a chance to win as many games as anybody in the conference. But if I just if I if I'm starting a team and I'm drafting these guys, I like Corral. Also, I think you could definitely make the argument as far as scheme on the offensive side of the ball, not necessarily as a team, but I would I want a quarterback that's playing for Lane Kiffin. I think that's definitely an argument in Corral's favor but when the game's on the line I don't know if I want either of them I, I don't know if there's a guy in the SEC where I'm just dying to have him you know with you know you got to make an 80-yard drive going down you know if you're down four on the road or you know something insanely clutch situation I don't know if there's a guy in the SEC that I'm ready to just say yes absolutely I put my money on this guy
1: by the end of the year yeah, do you think we'll have that
3: Yes, and I think it'll be the guy in Tuscaloosa. I think it'll be Bryce Young, if if I had to guess.
1: Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show with us. Tell everybody where they can find all the great content you're putting out.
3: Yeah, yeah. Just search Locked on Auburn wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, for those listening in the Lee County, Auburn, Opelika area, you can catch me every weekday morning on News Talk WA and I. That is at 98.7 FM on your radio dial. And gentlemen, Lance, Noah, I hope I see both of you at chicken parm night at, uh, at Rob's Ribs later.
1: That's right, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon and a great evening. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks, guys. That was Zach
1: Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast. We will wrap up the first hour of the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line.
0: Friends, if you're in a job you can't
1: stand or worried your unemployment benefits will be ending, you need to go to mycomputercareer.edu and fill out the free career evaluation form. I've personally spoken to them, and apparently, employers are lining up to hire their graduates. In as little as four months, you could start your career in the growing cybersecurity and networking fields. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Tell them Max sent you.
0: Goodyear knows the importance of keeping momentum as you head down the stretch. Momentum starts with movement. It's pulled from the air like a contested rebound. Momentum builds with steals and fast breaks and is proven by deep threes as the shot clock expires. Momentum is how we change the game. And now it's time to discover where it can take us. Goodyear. More Driven.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Only a couple more minutes left in the first hour. Before we wrap up our number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. ABC has new episodes of its Wednesday lineup. Press Your Luck is on at 7, and the $100,000 pyramid follows it at 8. Movie selection for tonight, Mark Wahlberg stars in Shooter at 7 on AMC. In live sports, there are four NBA playoff games on television at 6 on NBA TV. The 76ers look to close out the Wizards with Game 5. At 6.30 on TNT, it's Game 5 between the Knicks and the Hawks with Atlanta up 3-1 as the series heads back to Madison Square Garden. At 8.30 on NBA TV game five between the Jazz and the Grizzlies and at nine on TNT the Mavericks and the Clippers square off with the series tied at two one MLB game is on ESPN with the Boston Red Sox at the Houston Astros on at seven NHL playoff action sees two games on NBCSN at six thirty. it's game one between the Montreal Canadiens and the Winnipeg Jets at nine the Vegas Golden Knights look to even the series against the Colorado Avalanche in game two I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight The NCAA baseball tournament starts tomorrow, so we're going to continue to go through our predictions on who will get out of regionals and advance to super regionals. We're on that Ruston regional right now. You've got Louisiana Tech coming out. I've got NC State advancing out of the Ruston regional. A big part of this is NC State is swinging a hot bat right now, one of the most offensive teams In the ACC, they advanced all the way to the ACC championship where they were knocked off by a hot Duke team. And I just simply put, do not trust this Louisiana Tech team, who I wonder if they even should have been hosting a regional. Barely got into that point because they're the 16th national seed. Mm -hmm. You look at their records against good teams on their schedule, 2-4 and against SEC competition they were able to take three out of four against Southern Miss which holds some weight for me but at the end of this season they started to lose some of those games they went two and two against Southern Miss and the most recent series that they played against them they lost to LSU 16-8 back in May as the season progressed this club did it beat some of this good competition on their schedule they lost both games to old dominion who's also hosting actually all three games to old dominion as they lost to them in the conference usa tournament i just don't trust this louisiana tech team compared to some of the other squads i think it's more likely that alabama or nc state gets out of this regional than louisiana tech and i opted to go with nc state who's a little bit deeper on Uh, on the
2: pitching front than some of these other squads but also they bring the bats more so than anybody else in this regional this is my philosophy on louisiana tech and i I know i mentioned earlier that i'm I'm picking them to win that that regional here's here's what i have to say about it you are using facts and logic and sense and you are saying the teams that the the teams that are good should win this regional therefore alabama or nc state should win this regional very logical thing to say (laughs) But my thing is, in the past, whenever I've done a bracket for things like March Madness, I will say, oh, I'll pick this 14-3 upset because I think the 14th seed is the better team. That's not how upsets work, I've come to realize. The upset is because the team that was better got beat. And whenever I look at a team like Louisiana Tech, I don't necessarily think that they're better than Alabama or NC State. In fact, we, we were talking about it over the break, Louisiana Tech's 2-6 against SEC teams this season. It, but I I believe it would be somewhat of an upset to see that number one seed move on so I'm gonna pick Louisiana Tech even though it would make much more sense to pick a legitimate power five so to speak team like NC State or Alabama
1: let's go a little bit quicker here we've got to get through several other regionals here we, we still got to get through what like 14 other regionals at this point we've only gone through two so let's try and knock out another couple here before we get out for our middle of the show break Heading out to the Stanford Regional, they've got North Dakota State as their four seed, and then the 3-2 matchup is Nevada-UC Irvine.
2: Who do you have? I've got Stanford winning that regional, and I think they're going to match up with UC Irvine after UC Irvine beats Nevada. Nevada may be one of the weakest three seeds in this entire bracket, and whenever you look at Stanford, they already beat UC Irvine three times out of four games earlier this season, so I've got Stanford winning that regional.
1: Long time ago, though, when those two teams played. That was back earlier in the season, and a lot has changed since then. UC Irvine, a sexy upset team here. If you want to say that someone from off the wall could make it all the way to Omaha, they hit the ball really well, batting 294 as a team. I like what they bring to the table there. Pitching, they have one of the better ERAs in this regional as well, with a team ERA at 3.83. Now, some of you folks out there might say they play in the Big West Conference. Look, West Coast baseball? It's still pretty darn good, even if it is in the Big West. That league has been known to spit out a Cal State Fullerton or a UC Irvine over the years to be some pretty good baseball teams. Stanford, much worse at the plate. Batting two seventy-six in what has been a rather down Pac-12 in recent years you also look at them in terms of pitching a 4.64 ERA when I look at the postseason I want to know how much pitching depth you've got and this Stanford team I don't trust what they've got as far as starters I don't trust what they've got as far as a bullpen especially when they're putting out a 4.64 team ERA UC Irvine seems to be the more complete team I'll take them in the upset as they'll rematch with them a second go around this year I'm not mad at that I would assume most people wouldn't be mad at the anteaters advancing. We got to get some good mascots advancing, right? So you've got a tree or an anteater. <laughs> Take your pick. We're gonna keep going through this baseball bracket into hour number two. Still talking to Auburn football when we come back at three o'clock. Stay tuned for more of on the line.
0: or toll-free
1: at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thank you for joining us on your Thursday afternoon. Still an hour left in the show, and we've had a fun show so far. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast also keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports between collegiate and high school sports content we've got you covered once again that's Radio Alabama Sports.net yesterday's Twitter poll it's time to look at those results we asked which game is Auburn more likely to win this year Penn State or LSU and the folks have spoken The fans have spoken, folks, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, maybe folks are just so scarred with the fact that Auburn hasn't won Baton Rouge in over 20 years now, 54.2% to Penn State, 45.8% said
2: lsu lance what say you it's just natural at this point as an auburn fan to pick the other team (laughs) it's just like lsu and baton rouge or uh uab at home yeah i think i'm gonna be picking uab or alabama rather like i think i'm gonna be picking alabama's more likely to win because uh actually that's true if auburn auburn at home against alabama or lsu on the road i think some folks would probably pick alabama (laughs) that
1: is a twitter poll for tomorrow my friend that's a good question that is tomorrow's we've already put up today's it's too late man if only we had thought about that keep in mind auburn has won the last two home games against alabama
2: yep yep (laughs)
1: 2017 and 2019 that would be interesting I'm, i'm curious about that i'm curious what people think i bet people will still say baton rouge that will be the predominant answer but how skewed is it is, it, is the Alabama option higher than 40% or is it in the 30s? That's the real question. What do you think?
2: I, I you think think, how, how
1: skewed do you think that is?
2: I th- I don't think it's going to be incredibly skewed. I think it uh, – I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just need to see it. I need to see it first.
1: We'll do that tomorrow. Today's Twitter poll, though, already up. Go and find it at ESPN1067 on Twitter. On the line poll, will the Auburn offensive line improve this season – We asked this question to open up the show today. Now the Twitter poll up, once again, on ESPN 1067's Twitter account. Will the Auburn offensive line improve this season? So far right now, 59% of people have said yes, 9% of people have said no, and then 32% of people have said please with prayer
2: hands emoji. (laughs) So I'm with them. I said please. I'm in that boat (laughs) as well, dude. I am. I'm well you right said yes, with, you didn't say please. Oh I said yes from, from a different account. Oh, I'm, I'm Okay,
1: so you're 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 skewing the numbers. Yes, one of <laughs> one of
2: my burner accounts that definitely is not at the Mason jar. Uh y'all should go follow that account. It's it's pretty entertaining. It's literally Derek Mason's head in a mason jar. So that's kinda as, like Futurama
1: the, style, but it's a Mason jar. Yeah, exactly. It's that's a, funny.
2: Anyway, anyway.
1: Graham Carr at Graham Carr two on Twitter tweeted at us. I mean, it can't be any worse. Factual. I don't think it can be that worse either. Now, they could stop run blocking altogether. That, I think, would be where it gets worse. But
2: Lance, answer this question. Do you think they get better? I think they do get better. I think they do get better. And I've talked about I believe Bonex will get better because of this scheme. And I believe part of that has to do with the offensive line's improvement. I think they have to be able to improve in order for Auburn to have any sort of success year one under Harson. It's more of a hope than expectancy even though there, there are signs that this offensive line should improve, I hope they're going to improve. I think there are, there are different things that you can point to and say, well, this is a reason why they would. But it's just a lot more hope than it is legitimate. Like, this, it, it will improve.
1: You know, I had that hope going into last year's season. I said that on the On the Line podcast back then when we were only doing it one day a week. I said, there's no way that this offensive line can be any worse than what we saw in 2019. I was mistaken. It was worse. It could happen, folks out there saying, "Well, it can't get any worse." It can get worse. It it, it can always get worse, and so I'm not going into it completely with that level of, of optimism of hope. Like, well, it has to get better, right? Not true. It can get worse. But with that being said, this is my my reasoning for last year was well in 2019 it wasn't that good maybe it could do Auburn some good that they're getting four or five new offensive linemen in right they're getting four out of five new offensive linemen on the 2020 season I was like well maybe some new blood will make it better wrong it didn't make it better last year it got worse last year I I would say that the 2019 offensive line was better than than last year's offensive line and the statistics in terms of pass blocking would support that maybe not as much in terms of run blocking but how much of that is thanks to Tank Bigsby last year, supporting those offensive line run numbers rather than at 2019 when your backfield is a revolving door of Booby Whitlow and DJ Williams and Sean Shivers. That's definitely not as good of a a running back room as what you had last year in 2020. So I think a little bit some of those numbers, this year will be the year where you really draw your conclusions about this offensive line. But it may do this offensive line good. I think it does improve. I'm not as optimistic maybe as you are. I don't know how much better they're going to get at pass blocking. I just need them to be able to keep average teams out of the backfield, which they really weren't doing last year, mm-hmm. and and at least be able to get in front of somebody in the Georgia and Alabama games. If you could do that and, and not have Bo Nicks running for his life 50% of the time, 60% of the time, 70% of the time in those football games, allow him to at least have some time to throw, maybe those results will be a little bit better this year. Not necessarily wins, but... Not heinous blowouts where your offense can't do anything at all, but it, it, it's got to do Auburn some good to have some continuity on the offensive line with pretty much with all of their starters coming back, and that and that right now at this point with no transfers coming in that's your projected offensive line is last year's offensive line that'll be your starters
2: yep I, I, I hate to break the flow here but I do want to point out back to the Alabama LSU situation Auburn is 11 and 10 against Alabama since 2000 you want to guess Auburn's record against LSU since 2000 it's a losing record it's like 6 and 14 right 8 and 13 oh, okay. is their record against LSU so you can put that up as a poll and
1: Georgia's you- is 6 and 14 I think it I think be. that's I, what that one is. i have to go
2: check, but that's, that's probably, probably accurate. But that's, that would be an interesting poll to do. Auburn has a losing record overall against LSU. Alabama, or Alabama somehow has a losing record against Auburn since 2000. So the question would be... Fear the thumb. Who, who is more likely to, to lose? LSU? Alabama? I think it's a really good question to propose.
1: You tip your cap to Shula. You, you do. That, that's a big reason why that, that, that record is, is, is a winning record for Auburn. I mean, since... Since Pat Dye got to Auburn, I think Auburn's got a winning record, if not at five hundred against Alabama since that point. And Bama was a great program in the
2: nineties. Yeah, that two thousand and two to two thousand and seven stretch for Auburn was, was pretty good. It was pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean you you get six in a row. That's that's gonna that's gonna send that in that in that direction, but Going back to predicting the NCAA tournament bracket for baseball. Obviously, that gets started tomorrow. We are still working our way through this, predicting what teams are advancing to the Super Regional. And then next week, we'll pick what teams we think will advance to Omaha. We are down to the Lubbock Regional now, Texas Tech, Hosting Army West Point for their one four
2: matchup, and then three two is North Carolina UCLA. Who do you have coming out of this regional in Lubbock? I've got UCLA coming out of this regional. The Bruins ranked second in their conference in runs scored and third in ERA. That's pretty solid to be to be good at both of those and be an overall complete team. Uh, Texas Tech probably plays like you mentioned earlier. The Pac twelve's been been kind of down as of late, and the Big 12's probably a much better conference than the Pac. But they finished May five and four. Uh, and and one of their recent series was canceled it's kind of a toss-up for me but I think UCLA I'd I'd like to see them advance in this regional so I'm going to pick the Bruins. Texas Tech playing in a
1: tougher conference Big 12 is a lot deeper this year than the Pac-12 was so it's kind of how much do you weigh that Texas Tech had a bit of a rocky end of the season going like five and four over their last little bit of, uh, of the regular season they did do all right in the big 12 tournament but still not the way that they wanted to end the year once again you go back to tough competition in the big 12 but what scares me the most about texas tech compared to the other teams in this regional the team 4.27 era and i look at the starting pitchers 3.4 era a 3.6 era and then a 3.9 ERA, or really 3.99, so just say 4.0, which once again you go back to it's the Big 12. They're battle-tested by some great bats, but you look on the other side with UCLA, and their team ERA is almost a whole point lower. It's at 3.87, rest Texas Tech at 4.27, so about .5 difference there the UCLA starting staff you got a 3.19 ERA you got a 4.24 ERA and you got 4.89 ERA not necessarily what you want to look at as far as starters but you get to the bullpen where the mass majority you see some innings pitch you got a guy with a 1.5 ERA there with max I'm trying to figure out how to say his last name here it's R-A-J-C-I-C what, what would you go there
2: R-A-J-C-I-C oh I don't want to say something and get and get mauled for it <laughs> I'll, I'll go with like Sitch well we'll go with something like that but
1: the 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 ucla team much more well-rounded and has a little bit more depth in their pitching staff than texas tech and i value that a little bit more when everybody in this regional can pretty much hit around the same volume at about 280 i'm going to take the team that's got a little bit more pitching depth ucla i'd like to advance out of this regional with you so we'll go with that so i've got uc irvine and ucla matching up in that super regional west coast represent for those university of california school system let's stay out with some more west coast teams arizona's regional and tucson one seed arizona 40 and 15 overall on the year ended the season pretty strong this is the number five overall national seed they'll be hosting grand canyon from their favorite state of arizona and then you got three seed uc santa barbara and two seed oklahoma
2: state I've got Oklahoma State advancing simply because they're hot. They went 12 and 4 in May. They've got a pretty good offense. They've not done they much can score. They're on the road. Like seven runs a game. Right. They've not done much on the road in the Big 12. But I think I think they have the offensive firepower and they have the momentum. It's very similar in my mind to what Auburn was doing back in 2019 in March Madness. If you're shooting the three at an incredible rate and and you have momentum and your team's got a lot of good chemistry, you can really go far. I I don't. I've not been watching a lot of Oklahoma State baseball. Obviously this season but you look at them on paper and you say well this is a team that has a, the potential to really to really go off in the tournament so I'm going to pick them to, to win that regional Arizona
1: right now and I don't know why this has kind of turned into a bit of ai I don't I don't know why this has turned into a bit of an upset regional for me I like Arizona to win it because you look at the offense, there's not a whole lot of pitching depth in this regional either. I'm not giving the three or the four much of a chance in this in Grand Canyon and UC Santa Barbara. This comes down to Arizona and Oklahoma State for me. Neither team that excellent on the pitching mound. Both of these teams above a 4 ERA. Arizona's been the more shaky of the two, but at the end of the day, once you, once both teams are above a 4 ERA, I'm like, all right, throw the pitching out the window. Who can hit? This is going to turn into an offensive regional. And Arizona banning 325 as a team. They've got – Looking at their numbers, they got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different guys batting above 300. Wow. That's, that, that's almost their entire starting lineup. That's eight of their really nine good. guys in the starting lineup bat above 300. Get out of my face. Arizona winning this one. I like it.
2: That's really, really good.
1: They can hit. They can hit. Moving into Ole Misses Regional out in Oxford. One seed there against four seed Southeast Missouri State, three seed Florida State, and two seed Southern Miss. This is fun because a lot of these teams, other than the Southeast Missouri State, pretty much in driving distance, and they should all be fairly familiar with each other, especially Ole Miss and Southern Miss.
2: Boys, I know Southern Miss is a pretty decent team, but if you are picking anybody other than Ole Miss... On the home diamond. You are wrong. Yes, you are. It is not going to happen. There will be no upset in this region. I think Ole Miss advances.
1: I'm with you there, and and I think I took every single if you were a national seed sec team i advanced you in this bracket because you went through the gauntlet you played in the best conference that baseball has to offer and the other teams in this regional florida state or southern miss take your pick i don't believe that they have the offense to keep up with one of the best batting orders in all of baseball if you're top two in the SEC in terms of batting average you can spray it this Ole Miss team still played very well in the conference tournament even though they didn't end up making it to the title game even though they didn't end up winning it but now they're getting some 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 pitchers back as well like Nikhazy Nikhazy's back for them and they, they've got more depth in their pitching staff than they have what they started the year with not to mention what they're able to do at the plate I'm going to have a hard time picking this Ole Miss team to, to not advance as well so I've got them moving on you mentioned that Arizona the Ole Miss series is going to be really fun
2: you mentioned the bats about Southern Miss they only hit 259 as a team this season so Southern it, Miss, it, Southern Miss yeah. did so even if they get the pitching going and they manage to advance and play Ole Miss I, I I'm with you I don't see them moving past Moving
1: along, a, a group of five team or non power conference team hosting a regional one seed East Carolina against four seed Norfolk State, three seed Maryland against two seed Charlotte.
2: Take your pick. I've got I've got ECU advancing in this region and the reason I do is I believe they'll be able to get past Norfolk State pretty easily and I, I favor them in either a Maryland matchup or a Charlotte matchup I believe if they do end up facing Charlotte the the thing that I immediately point to as well ECU's already swept Charlotte this season that's right I could see them I could not necessarily see them doing a similar thing but I, I definitely would would point the, the needle in the favor of of the Pirates so I, I've got them winning that regional I just think the matchups are there for them
1: Maryland has been a somewhat popular pick to come out of this regional and I'm not seeing it there either the Big Ten doesn't hold that much weight to me for a baseball conference despite the fact that it's a power conference what they only got three Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament Maryland was one of the last ones to make it in 28 and 16 overall this year once again you already point to the fact that ECU swept Charlotte this year a team that's been ranked for the majority of the season at times they've even been inside the top 20 they've seen that high of a ranking I like this East Carolina team. They've got the best pitching in this regional. They're also getting to do it on their home diamond. If you want to say that Maryland's going to get there at the end, well, they're they're going to be out of pitching depth by the time that they get to the end, especially if they lose their first game because they're batting 260 as a team and they're only pitching 465. And in the Big 10, that tells me that they're just kind of an average baseball team that won in an average conference. ECU on the other hand, most pitching depth in this regional as a team a 3.99 ERA and not to mention they can hit the ball really well too as a squad at the plate batting 302 when you've got a sub 4 ERA as a squad and you're batting above 300 I'm going to value you this team is as good as advertised they also have somewhat of a history in the NCAA baseball tournament they're they're not some debutante they've been a pretty good baseball team over the years and they're not they're not shy to this national stage 41 and 15 overall i'll take ecu now let's wrap up this left side of the bracket here before we go to break vanderbilt's regional i'm assuming we're, we're both taking vanderbilt one seed vandy they are coming in as the number four overall national seed at 40 and 15 overall they'll be hosting four seed presbyterian three seed indiana state and two seed georgia
2: tech i'll say it again boys if you are picking an ace against an sec team at home that is one of these national seeds let alone one of the best teams in the country period you are wrong I am not picking against Vanderbilt I think Vanderbilt will advance regardless of who they play either it be Indiana State or Georgia Tech
1: pitching depth you got Kumar Rocker you got Jack Leiter and then you got a solid bullpen as well this team year round was at the top of the SEC in batting average and team ERA if you're not pitching great well they can hit the ball too and this team still, every even though they didn't make it to the conference tournament championship, this, this is still one of the best teams in all of baseball. Comes down to if they can peak at the right time now. ECU, Vanderbilt in a Super Regional, that might be a different story. If ECU shows up and, and, and can match what Vandy can do at the plate, if ECU is as good as maybe as I think they are, you could maybe see Vanderbilt get shocked in the Super Regional. But still, they'll be hosting that's the situation that vanderbilt is in right now is the number four national seed they could host all the way to omaha and then they'll pack their bags and head out west i like vandy in this one hard to pick against and nobody else in this in this regional really does anything for me beyond just being an average baseball team so throughout the rest of this hour we'll pick the other half of the ncaa baseball tournament uh, of the ncaa baseball tournament with the regionals going on tomorrow and getting started we got uh we got some more fun matchups to talk about throughout the rest of the show you're listening to online
0: the line with noah gardner and lance Daw. we'll be right back
1: you're on the line with noah gardner and lance Daw on espn 1067 at fox sports central alabama follow ESPN 1067 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 1067. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Going through the NCAA Baseball Tournament bracket, we've got eight more regionals to get through before we get out of today's show, and the NCAA tournament starts tomorrow. We're on to the right side of the bracket now. And now we're taking a look at Texas. Texas, the number 2 overall national seed, the Austin Regional. Texas will play host to four-seed Southern University, three-seed Fairfield, and two-seed Arizona State. Fairfield's an interesting story. This team was the the team that went the longest this season undefeated, but they didn't play anybody. They're sitting at 37-3. Best record in baseball, and they got a three C because they didn't play anybody. You probably don't even know what conference this team played in. It's the MAAc. It's the MAC. <laughs> it's not the MAC. It's the MAC. That what is that like the Metro Atlantic
2: Athletic Conference?
1: I it's, think that's what I that, think that it's, stands for. It's,
2: yeah, yeah, that's exactly right.
1: So they didn't play anybody in baseball. A lot of those teams don't even get baseball weather. Until it gets to April or May. And in some cases, it's you may still be under a couple inches of snow in April, right? So that they they didn't play a tough schedule. You really don't know enough about this Fairfield team if they're good or not. You know they're good, but how good are they? Are they good enough to make it to the final and challenge Texas? Arizona State, a middle of the pack, Pac-12 team. Texas is the class of this regional. This is the regional, this is the type of regional that Arkansas should have got. Why in the world did Arkansas get stuck with the Big Ten champion that's playing some really good baseball right now in Nebraska? Why did they get stuck with them? And Texas gets Southern, who on the year was 20 and 28, Arizona State, a middle of the pack, Pac 12 team that was a pretty, it was not a great Pac 12 conference this year, and then Fairfield, who, who played absolutely nobody. Arkansas would trade regionals with these guys.
2: For sure uh, as as far as Texas is concerned you know I think they advance I think they advance against Southern and I think Fan- Fairfield does have a legitimate shot against Arizona State but regardless I'm gonna have a really hard time picking against the number two overall seed in this bracket I've got Texas advancing regardless whether or not Fairfield wins or Arizona State advances to play the Longhorns.
1: Let's head to the southeast then since both of us have Texas we won't spend too much time on that Texas is the class of that regional and it's not even close we go to Gainesville now. The Florida Gators squeeze in as a national seed as the fifteenth overall ranked team in the country at 38 and 20. They will be hosting several Southeastern teams. The Florida imprint is strong here. Florida will take on four seed South Florida, who finished twenty-eight and twenty-seven, three seed South Alabama against two seed Miami. If you'll remember, opening weekend of the baseball season this year, Miami upset. A consensus number 1 overall Florida team to open up the year. It's been a long time, though, since that series. I'll be taking Florida in this regional. USF only had 28-27. They don't have a prayer. This Florida team has improved a lot on both sides of, uh, of the baseball diamond, whether they've been at the plate, whether they've been out in the field defensively. This is a team that's improved a lot since the start of the year. So if they do end up matching against Miami at the end of this, I like this Florida team with how far they've come.
2: I agree. And I'm not going to say it in the, in the annoying tone again, but it's really hard to pick against a, an SEC team, especially at home, one of the national seeds. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Florida or rather a number one seed. I'm going to pick Florida to advance regardless of whether or not they play South or, or, or Miami. Pitching yeah. depth
1: for the Gators. Although the numbers don't support it right now, it's definitely, like I said, has came a long way since the start of the year team 4.1 EA, 4.18 era isn't exactly where you want to be at but i definitely really think we saw this gator team improve across the year but the big selling point like you said is how they play at home and at home they took two out of three against a squad like vanderbilt earlier on in the year that's going to give you some confidence that these guys are going to be a tough out in gainesville so a texas florida series in the Super Regional that's reminiscent of like the 2000s and those were some fun some fun teams at both of those universities not as high profile in Gainesville this year but still a good team nonetheless and maybe we'll see if they could take it to Big 12 opponent Texas possibly pull an upset there but let's move along Notre Dame will be hosting in South Bend they're the one seed at 30 and 11 coming out of the ACC they'll take on four seed Central Michigan at 40 and
2: 16 out of the MAC three seed Michigan Michigan two seed UConn who do you have coming out I've got Central Michigan beating Notre Dame and then I've got Michigan beating Central Michigan this is my this is my upset regional I believe that Notre Dame is not going to be able to make it past Central Michigan they played in a really weak uh ACC this year in my opinion it's it's going to be really difficult i think for them to get past what 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 i look at as a pretty decent central michigan squad i'm not saying they're world beaters but i think that it's it's a pretty even matchup and i know it's 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 at notre dame but i'm going to take central michigan to win that initial matchup matchup and then i've got michigan moving past the uh the chippewas
1: notre dame hasn't been to the ncaa tournament since 2015 Michigan you look back into 2019 this was a squad that made it to Omaha this is not a team that is going to step out onto the baseball field despite the fact that they're not hosting this is not a team that's going into South Bend with the NCAA tournament and all this pressure and they're going to have wide eyes and they're and they're going to be shaking in their boots and they're going to be nervous because they've never been here before on the other hand Notre Dame has never been here before now it's good for them that they're hosting but statistically this Notre Dame team nothing just jumps off the page for you more pitching oriented than they are at the plate only batting 270 they've got a pitching staff with a team era of 3.95 but you look at the starting pitchers 3.3 era 4.8 era they really don't have much after two the next guy who's made the most starts has only made three he's got a 5.27 era not a lot of depth there for notre dame on the other hand you look at michigan and what they have as far as their pitching staff is concerned a team 3.93 era so comparable and two comparable conferences this year as well. I would say the Big Ten and the ACC were fairly close to each other in that category, and Michigan, on the other hand, definitely has a lot more in terms of their starting pitching staff. They have two guys below a three ERA, and then you get into the bullpen. They've got some dudes that have gone significant amount of innings this year, two guys also in the bullpen with below three RAs. The pitching for Michigan, the depth there, carries a lot further than what notre dame has and for the fact that michigan is not they are they're not new guys on the block in the ncaa tournament they know how to pull upsets they know how to make a run to omaha i'm not saying that they're going to get to omaha because they'll run into mississippi state and the super regionals but this is a team that can definitely get out of a regional they're familiar with this stage and i expect them to, to to make some some major plays on this stage another sec team hosting a very favorable regional here this one out in Starkville, Mississippi State's got Sanford, Campbell, and VCU. The fact that there's not another power conference there and Mississippi State didn't play well in the SEC tournament, but I- I'm taking Mississippi State on their home baseball diamond against three non-Power 5 teams. This one was maybe the easiest one for me to have to predict.
2: Yeah, outside of the Texas region, I think this is easily the, 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 the easiest path To win for a one seed i've got mississippi state winning regardless vcu campbell and samford not the most impressive teams whenever you look at what they've been able to do this season compared to a team like mississippi state again best conference in the country the sec if you're a one seed i'm probably you're probably a lock for me to move on and win your regional
1: not one of these teams can match what mississippi state has in their pitching staff and they get strikeouts, and they will churn through an order, and if you can't put the ball in play, you can't win. Mississippi State is going to keep these squads from putting the ball in play. On the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at the make-or-break factors for Texas A&M football in 2021. We continue that series on the other side of this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when
1: we come back. Back on off the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis News and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama, on FoxSports983.com, and on Facebook, that's Fox Sports 983com continuing our make or break series today we'll be examining the texas a&m aggies what are the make or break factors for texas a&m into 2021 trying to come back off of a year where they only lost one game last year couldn't get past the alabama crimson tide but still were able to steal wins against teams like florida and you may say at the end of the year well maybe it wasn't them stealing wins maybe it was this texas a&m team finally achieving where Am fans have been hoping that they could get to under Jimbo Fisher the question is can they replicate that into 2021
2: Lance what could prevent them from doing so I think it starts in with the quarterback position trying to break in a guy in Haynes King after after having Kellen Mond for four seasons you know he's he I believe he either tied or set the record last season for most touchdowns in in a career in the southeastern conference I believe he passed Tim Tebow I, I might oh, When be you mistaken. play four years. Yeah, that's what happens whenever you play four years. And I know a lot of guys viewed Mond as this really inconsistent, frustrating quarterback, but he was still talented. And those are big shoots to fill. Whenever you're looking at a guy like Haynes King, four of two last season, 59 yards, one touchdown, one interception, incredibly small sample size for a freshman quarterback that will be coming into a system that is replacing all or not all five of their offensive linemen, but four of their five offensive linemen. That one left tackle in Kenyon Green returning for the Aggies this season, but I think it starts with the quarterback position, and if that quarterback position is going to play well, can he survive with an offensive line that is replacing so many of their starters? I want to take you through who those guys potentially could be this season. Obviously, Kenyon Green, former five-star prospect, is entering his junior season with the Aggies. you will go, be good. You go and look at a I'm not gonna blotch his last name. Let's just call him a key. He was a former four-star prospect that will most likely be playing left guard. I'll go with Ogunbiyi. That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, just saying th- it phonetically. Their, their center uh, Luke Matthews, who is a junior, he was a former four-star prospect, and then Jameer Johnson. Uh, Their right tackle is a senior, but he was a, he was a three star, but he is a transfer. What about a
1: right guard, Layden
2: Robinson, sophomore. I, I'm going to get him, to him in just uh, just a second, but I wanted to, wanted to talk about the only three star on the, the on the offensive line, rather one of the only two, real quick before we get to the weak point. He was a transfer from Tennessee, but he's a redshirt senior, so even though he was only a three star prospect, he still had time to develop his skills in the Southeastern Conference. And then you look at the weak point, the sophomore right guard, Layden Robinson, former three star. Heading into his sophomore year, he is the only guy on this entire offensive line that I have a concern about. I know they replaced some serious production on that offensive line. That offensive line was really, really good last year. They, uh, I believe, nationally sit at 47% returning production on the offensive side of the football as a whole, as a team. But it, they've got some really good guys filling in, and I'm not saying that they're going to click right away, or they're not—they're going to be as special as last year's unit was. But if Hanks King is going to be a game manager, I think this offensive line is going to give him give him the ability to do more than just that.
1: I am concerned with this offensive line a little bit more than you are. A, I look at the right side, and I think, well, this is clearly the weak point of their offensive line. At right guard, Leighton Robinson, you talk about him as a former three-star, also hasn't played a whole lot at this point, but you also look at right tackle Jameer Johnson. Look, man, Tennessee's offensive line has not been something to ride home about. This has not been something to be like, oh, yeah, he's a Tennessee transfer. This guy's going to be great. Now, they've had some high-profile recruits come through the door in Knoxville on the offensive line. Will Friend recruited it really well. But he did develop it really well. They were not a good offensive line last year. So I wonder if a change of scenery ignites it for him. I'm not sure. You also look at the other guard spot and freshman Aki Agunbayi. That's where I'll go now. I'll say Agunbayi after I've looked at it a couple times. That's what I'm going to settle on with the pronunciation. But Aki Agunbayi, freshman, do you pick it up right away? Probably not you're still going to have your growing pains there. So at both guard spots, you've got some growing pains. That's not good for an interior rushing scheme. And then your your strong points are Luke Matthews, the junior center, and then Kenyon Green at left tackle. They're going to be able to protect Haynes Keen from the left tackle spot, but I'm wondering everywhere else where this looks and then also what does the rushing attack look like with two guards who are going to experience their growing pains. So I'm not as sold on this offensive line that's got to break in four of their five guys. When was the last time that we heard about that locally, Auburn having to replace four or five offensive linemen this past year?
2: Yep. And it was pretty bad. It was not Auburn. good. It, it was, was pretty not bad. Good. I would, I, I would argue that the scheme that Texas A&M runs is probably a little bit better than what was what Auburn was running last year and I think you're going to see guys like Isaiah Spiller not not necessarily be hampered by this offensive line trying to retool and get back to where they were a season ago he's but, fantastic. but he's fantastic he's going to be able to carry the load he's going to make that that situation with Haynes King a little bit more comfortable something else I want point to point out real quick is to talk about the defense It only gave up 21.7 points per Excellent game defense. and you mentioned in the break is like if you're able to do that in the SEC you're you're doing something Something right. I want to take you back to their past few years as a defense. In 2017, they gave up 30.7 points per game. 2018, 25.3. 2019, 22.5. Got better. And then, as I mentioned, 2020, 21.7. They found a defensive coordinator that they like in Mike Elko, and they've been able to consistently produce better and better results. And this season, they bring back nine of those starters yeah this defense is going to be good
1: it's not going anywhere and when you look at the schedule or or you look at the offense and everything they've lost if this offense is taking some time to grow and gel with some new faces at quarterback and on the offensive line you bring back your skill positions at wide receiver and running back this was one of the better receiving cores at the sec last year you're bringing back your skill positions you feel safe there but you still have to build a new relationship with a quarterback that only had four pass attempts in his career, and one of them was an interception. So you're looking at a quarterback who is brand new to the game, and one of his four pass attempts, he's thrown a pick. Now the other one, half of them, has has been an impact play, right, because he had a touchdown as well amongst that four, so i got to give him credit there. But you look at the schedule, if it's taking them some time to bring this offensive long, this defense should still be able to help them win football games against Kent State, Colorado, New Mexico, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. You should be looking at a 5-0 Texas A&M team going into the Alabama game. But the second half of the schedule... If the offense still has not found its way after the Alabama game, that's where you're going to start seeing losses. You can see them lose on the road at Missouri, a team that could put up some points against this defense if your offense isn't able to keep you out on If the offense can't stay out on the field, you could see them lose that game on the road. they still got to play Auburn. they got to play Ole Miss on the road, who we know who can put up some points. And then LSU, despite the fact that their defense was abysmal last year, statistically on the offensive end, they also could score some points. That game is how they end the season on the road in Baton Rouge. So if this offense never figures it out by the end of the year, The defense won't be enough to keep this team from achieving mediocrity by the end of the season, but the defense is a make-or-break factor for them because if they put up the numbers that they did last year, if they stifle opponents early on, they're going to buy this offense enough time to figure it out.
2: Right, and whenever you look at Haynes King, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, one of those four pass attempts was an interception but also one of those four pass attempts was a touchdown now I'm really concerned with the interception because any backup quarterback can throw can throw a a a touchdown in in garbage time which I would assume that's what it was but you look at the situation he's stepping into the offensive line may not be fantastic but they bring back their their top five receivers from last season one of the guys that they bring back Jalen Weidermeyer they're tied in really really solid definitely going to be an NFL, NFL guy in the future but he's stepping into a situation with these skill positions that he's going to be spreading the ball around to some guys that do have that experience so top this, five receivers are back right so if this offensive line does gel he's going to be able to hand it off to spiller who is going to be fantastic and he's going to be able to get to b- the ball to some really experienced talented receivers this offense if if the defense gives them time like you mentioned to gel they could be something special not this year but maybe in in, in next season if they give King time to to get mature and to develop his skills as an SEC quarterback. That
1: gets to my next point, and we've talked about Haynes King a little bit here. How smooth is the transition to Haynes King, a quarterback who is the projected starter for Texas A&M next year pretty much everywhere, but four pass attempts and then an offensive line in front of him that is replacing four starters and his two guards in front of him in the interior both have little to no playing experience at this point that seems that seems like that could be disastrous do I think it will be no Haynes King is working under a head coach that knows quarterbacks Jimbo Fisher has a pretty good track record with those former quarterback coach himself he understands the position well and I think he can scheme some things up for him but go back all the way to Kellen freshman year right go back all the way to when Kellen was a freshman was that perfect Wasn't he a turnover machine until this past year for A&M where he only had three interceptions? I looked at Kellen Mond for three years as Jameis Winston of the NFL, but but Kellen Mond of the SEC. He'll win you seven games. He'll also lose you five games. Last year, Kellen Mond took that out of his arsenal. Last year, that was not true about Kellen Mond. He only had three picks. He didn't lose Texas A&M any ballgames. He didn't. He won them nine football games last year, eight in the SEC, and he didn't lose them that Alabama game either. It was the fact that AM could stop Alabama, and Alabama was by far the best team in the country. The question is, can Haynes King replicate something like that this year? And I don't see it with a brand-new offensive line. And the fact that he's a freshman, there's growing pains associated with that. He's only got four pass attempts in live college football. He's going to lose them
2: some games. Yeah, you talk about Kellen Mond being able to progress as, as his uh time at A M went on in his freshman season, had a fifty one point five percent completion percentage, eight touchdowns, six interceptions. Ah. In his sophomore year though, fifty seven point three percent completion percentage, twenty four touchdowns, nine picks, Still, junior season, sixty one percent. 20 touchdowns nine interceptions and then last season I think they relied on the ground game quite a bit 205 yards rushing per game for the Aggies last season but Kellen Mons, statistically as a quarterback 63 percent completion percentage 19 touchdowns three interceptions so he got more consistent as his time went on and I agree with you I don't think Haynes King is going to be able to do that immediately something else to note about Haynes King his two game logs were against South Carolina and at Alabama He threw that interception against Bama, 42-yard touchdown against South Carolina. We will wrap up predicting the NCAA
1: tournament bracket on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line.
0: On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7.
1: wrapping up the Thursday edition of on the line this show has flown by Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama we're going to wrap up the show here going through the NCAA baseball tournament bracket giving you our predictions for the regional round that's starting tomorrow and going through the weekend we've got four more regionals to get through here TCU's regional out in Fort Worth they'll be hosting McNeese State a four seed three seed Dallas Baptist University and then two seed Oregon State
2: it was interesting because the twenty four seven sports article that I was reading about this entire tournament preview predicts Dallas Baptist, the three seed, to win over TCU in advance. Give it to me. I'm I, here for it. I mean, I'm down with it, but I mean, it, I just I've I have a really hard time picking these group of five per se. They're not group of five. I, I know that, but group of group of five type teams over legitimate power conferences and power teams and. I, I know that that TCU did not have a great finish to the regular season, but they did win their conference tournament. I think that says something, especially whenever it's a it's a conference like the Big Twelve. I, I got to go with TCU to win this regional. I, I think Dallas Baptist is a sexy upset pick. I think that I think that that's that's all fine and dandy, but I and I can see people picking that. I'm not mad at it. I just have a really hard time picking against TCU. Dallas Baptist, not a team
1: that is this is a team that is familiar with this stage they make the ncaa tournament on a regular basis you got to put a little bit of respect on dallas baptist as a team they're able to schedule some squads during the year that especially in their non-conference that are some good teams gonzaga a team that is a two seed from the west coast conference is playing in this ncaa tournament they split with gonzaga in the regular season They took both games against Missouri in the regular season. They lost 15-8 to Arizona, but beat a top 25 Oklahoma team in the Frisco College Baseball Classic. They, looking across to see in their schedule, see if they've played any more top-tier teams. They played Indiana State, who was ranked 19th when they played them, took three out of four games against Indiana State in that conference series, and then they took both of them against them in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament They get to open up against Oregon State. I'm taking Dallas Baptist to win this regional because they test themselves in the non-conference. They are familiar with TCU. They are familiar with power conference baseball teams. This is not a stage that they're unfamiliar with. And when you look at them statistically on paper, them and TCU, very similar. TCU statistics are going to weigh a little bit more for me because they're in the Big 12. But Dallas Baptist has performed against top-tier competition. I'm going to take DBU to win at tcu
2: that's something i was going to say is there's a lot of controversy about whether or not lsu ohio state alabama texas who's the true dbu dallas baptist is the (laughs) true dbu and there's no debating that
1: that's great if you look at their logos they're like the exact same logo almost too (laughs) it's hilarious we were talking about that when we were making that graphic let's move on here old dominion Although they're a one seed, they're actually not hosting. This one is in Columbia, South Carolina. South Carolina, the two seed in that regional. They'll be taking on three seed Virginia. Old Dominion taking on four seed Jacksonville. The Monarchs, 11th national overall seed. They got to go to Columbia, South Carolina because they didn't bid for a host site this year.
2: I'm, I'm picking South Carolina, the two seed, to overthrow Old Dominion. Again, I put a lot of stock in SEC baseball. I put a lot of stock in Power Conference baseball but uh, South Carolina's pitching staff's been too good to not get past one regional this year, and I think they're going to do that.
1: Old Dominion can hit now, batting 311, but once again, they have not played substantial competition over the course of the year. The best teams that Old Dominion gets to play against are teams inside their own conference of the likes of Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, and while they did take care of business and it gets them as a top 11 spot in a 42-14 and 14 record, what scares me about Old Dominion compared to South Carolina, A, They're not getting to play in their home baseball park. They have to go to South Carolina. South Carolina is going to be comfortable. B, the pitching depth. A team ERA of 4.31. You look at the starting staff. Yes, they have a starter with a 2.84 ERA who should get them a win in the first game against Jacksonville. But after that, you got a 3.3 ERA and a 4.42 ERA. South Carolina has had one of the best pitching staffs in the SEC all year long top three top four and team ERA across the SEC season this is a team with a winning SEC record at 16 and 14 when they were going into the conference tournament they swept Florida earlier in the year South Carolina being being slept on I know this is a sexy upset even though they're in their own home baseball park South Carolina you could be looking at them as a potential Omaha team when they get to match up with the Dallas Baptist if that does occur whoever they match up with out of that TCU regional and the Super Regional because South Carolina has the pitching depth to carry them through the postseason I like the Gamecocks to come out of it we got two more regions that we got to get through Oregon up in Eugene they'll be taking on Central Connecticut
2: State having to go from opposite ends of the country and then you got LSU and Gonzaga in the 3-2 matchup. So I initially had penciled in LSU as the winner of this regional, but I got to thinking, you know, just as far as landscape goes, Oregon's uh, going to be playing at home. LSU going to have to travel all the way out to the other side of the country to have to play them. Oregon's ERA as a pitching staff is pretty solid at 3.52. Gonzaga is a pretty decent school as well, ranked second in their conference in runs scored in ERA I know LSU's got the tools to get past Gonzaga but I don't see them getting past Oregon especially at home and just in in the road environment so I've got Oregon winning against either Gonzaga or LSU whoever wins the other other side of the regional
1: if you look at LSU on paper and you say well this team's playing well in May look at the teams they beat they beat Texas A&M Alabama and Auburn those are the teams that they all took two out of three against didn't even care to sweep one of them yes they were playing better but against weaker competition LSU didn't beat anybody this year this team was in the cellar of the SEC West with Auburn for three-quarters of the SEC season until they started winning at the end against bad teams. They pulled in Auburn, and then what happens? They get into the SEC tournament, they play a good team again, they play Georgia, and they lose 4-1 to in the first round. This LSU team should not have been in. Georgia should be in this spot. That They should switch those two, for me. At least, I don't know how you leave Georgia out, and I think a big part of Georgia getting left out is the fact that they lost their series to Auburn and LSU cleaned up in the month of May. But I like Oregon as well for the reasons that you suggested, Oregon advancing that's that's what I've got there so
2: do you believe Georgia would have had a better shot if they if they had been penciled in
1: no probably not if they were penciled into this specific regional no but if they were if they were in Alabama's regional or or um yeah I mean say say you switch Alabama out for Georgia or that they might have a better shot in that regional and rusting because I don't trust some of the other teams in there, like Louisiana Tech. That's an easier national seed than having to play in Oregon, who may be a 14th overall national seed, but I respect what this Oregon team can do at the plate. I respect their pitching depth. They're a good all around team, Sim- similar to UCLA. I like this Oregon team to advance. And then to the last regional that we got to do Knoxville is hosting one 45 and 16. Overall national seed number three, Tennessee, taking on Wright State, and then the 3 2, Liberty and Duke, but Duke. They have ran the table here. I think they've won 12 straight. They won the ACC tournament. This is a tough two for one of the top seeds in the country. They did Arkansas and Tennessee no favors for their two seeds. But Texas, they're like, yeah, we'll we'll give you Arizona State, middle of the pack, probably shouldn't have even been a two seed. We'll give you Fairfield and Southern University.
2: I went back and forth on this, simply for that reason, that Duke has been so hot as of late. But again, it's just really, really hard to pick against SEC baseball. I've got Tennessee winning this regional at home. I don't see it it panning out a different way. I know that Duke's really, really talented, and they've been really, really hot. But it's just hard to pick against the SEC sure Duke may be hot
1: Tennessee's hot look at how they ended the year they made it to the SEC tournament championship sure lost but they had to face one of the best pitchers in the country you know SEC pitcher of the year in Arkansas so I think that kind of gets negated there both teams are hot who's more talented who's got the better pitching Tennessee does one of the best pitching staffs in all the country and it's going to be put on display this is the team that could win it all could win it all and I, I can't pick them to lose in a regional against duke who for most of the year has been rather average until they got hot at the end of the year and won 12 straight they were hovering around 500 before they won 12 straight to end the year and an acc that's been pretty up and down so those are our predictions there we'll get them up on social media as well as the tournament starts tomorrow lanta's been a solid show my man it's been a lot of fun it blew by that's right that's right and so did this week we're heading into friday tomorrow the drive with bill cameron will be following us here after on the line at 4 p.m they'll be taking your calls bill and dan as they do every day and we'll be back with you tomorrow as well for some fun topics we'll continue our maker break series tomorrow taking a look at some other sec teams as well as keeping you up to date with what's going on in the ncaa tournament for baseball as always talking auburn football and what's going on in the recruiting show we got christian clemente of auburnsports.com on the line with us tomorrow we'll have him on for the entire first hour of the show that's it for another edition of on the line the drive with bill cameron following guys we'll see you tomorrow same time same place you know where to find us